All right, we will be reading from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read the Christmas story uh, starting at, at, at verse 1. We'll read to verse 20. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace, for your kindness. Lord, I do pray for comfort here today. I ask, that, Lord, that every heart that is burdened, discouraged, and uncertain, that you would bring hope and peace and joy, that during this season, that no matter what we are going through or what we're facing, that, Lord, our hearts would be filled with the reality that God came to save us. Remind us, O oh God, of that beauty. Remind us of that hope. Remind us of that glorious story. And may joy and peace and hope be what defines our lives. Bless this time in your word, we pray. We ask that you would open up our eyes to help us understand and comprehend what you are saying. May we apply it to our lives and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 2, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger with a young boy playing his drum. That's not in there, is it? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want to share a message with you this morning that I've just entitled Christmas Eve Meditations. Uh, today is Christmas Eve, and it's actually estimated that this will be a bigger shopping day than Black Friday. Some of you are waiting to get out of this sanctuary this morning because you have a gift that you still yet need to buy. We know that the holiday season is a busy time. It can be frantic. It can be chaotic. We, we gather together with family and friends to exchange gifts, eat food, and hopefully enjoy each other's company. Christmas time comes and goes at blazing speed. How many of you will admit that? It seems like they go back faster and faster as you get older. <laughs> Amen. It does come at blazing speed, and very rarely do you have any silent nights during this holiday season. 
It's hard to bring up the word meditation amidst all the goings-on that you have. But I want us to think about the word meditate. I want us to meditate on the word meditate. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody thought that was funny. I appreciate that. Meditate basically is defined as thinking deeply or focusing one's mind for a period of time on a specific subject, person, thing, object, right? Lots of times it's, it's normally um, associated with, with uh, meditating in silence. Sometimes, especially in religious contexts, you'll have music or even chanting. Um, it's to engage in contemplation and reflection. Now, in today's world, meditation has become a trendy subject for reducing stress and focusing the mind. It's, it's a process that is promoted from everywhere from the Cleveland and the Mayo Clinics to gurus and self-help books and counselors and psychologists. There are meditation apps that you can download to help you find inner peace. Meditation can be powerful. And for a matter of fact, it's even rooted in Scripture, and it's been a powerful spiritual discipline throughout Christian history, but it can also be dangerous because it really depends on how you meditate and more importantly on what or who you're meditating on because what you spend most of your time thinking about is eventually what you will become. While most forms of modern meditation help a person become more calm or be more focused, there are significant differences in both the intention and the practice of secular or Eastern and Christian forms of meditation. The purpose of secular mindfulness is self-care, which is a very, very popular term in today's day and age. Self-care, take care of self. So we use meditation, or what they call mindfulness, because the goal is to become more grounded, to become less emotional, to become less reactionary. Because how many of you know it's not always the issue that's the problem, it's how we react to the problem. The purpose of Eastern meditation is to empty the mind and merge with the universe or merge with the, the divinity that is within. But we have to empty our mind to do that. For some of y'all, it's not a very far trip. There's not much going on up there. When people ask me, what are you thinking about? Literally nothing. I'm literally thinking about nothing. But we're to empty our... It's about losing a sense of self through emptying and detaching from self or from others or from the world around us or from the circumstance we find ourselves in and many times even from suffering itself. We are detaching ourselves from how we see and think. But... Christian meditation is totally different. It's about filling the mind with thoughts of God, of, of Scripture, of the Word, of being transformed into the character of Christ. For a matter of fact, Christian meditation is the op has the opposite goal of Eastern meditation. Christian meditation is not about detachment, but about attachment. Attaching ourselves to God, being focused on his word, attaching our hearts and our minds. And this is the kind of meditation that God commands us to do. The Bible tells us that this book of the law shall not proceed, shall not proceed out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? If you do these things, your way will be successful. 
as we meditate on God's word. And today's service is a time for such meditation, meditating specifically on God's plan through the birth of his son. I want today's service to yield to, to serve as a yield sign. Now, I, I told my kids one day that red means stop, green means go, yellow means floor it. Red mean go, green, I mean, red mean stop, green go, yellow, floor it, right? It's not a good policy. Yellow means yield. And when we, when we yield, what we're supposed to be doing is pumping the brakes. And I want this service, this moment, because you guys gathered here today, and like I said, I know you've probably got 100 things you've got to do today. People that are waiting are eventually going to meet with you. Maybe it won't happen until this evening, so... Maybe you still got time this afternoon for a nap. Some of y'all have eaten enough cookies that you could nap for like three weeks. But I want this service, this time, to serve as a yield sign. Slow down. Pump the brakes in the middle of all the busyness to meditate on the beauty of why we even celebrate this holiday in the first place. There is no Christmas without Christ. And so that's what we want to meditate on today. That's what we want to focus our attention on. Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Other translations say that she treasured up all these words and pondered what they might mean. That means that Mary is doing more than just remembering. She's trying to put things together. Mary is a ponderer. She was meditating. In chapter 1, around verse 29, when the angel comes and when Gabriel comes and announces to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, the Bible says that she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, as the Gabriel was speaking to her, she wasn't just hearing what Gabriel was saying. She was listening. She was pondering. She took the time to meditate, to try to put things together, to see the real meaning. She meditated. And this is our challenge today. Let's not let this Christmas pass us by so quickly that all we have are pictures that Facebook can bring back up in our memories. Let's stop long enough to ponder, to treasure the true meaning in our hearts, to meditate on Christmas. Christmas brings with it many things to ponder, and the Christmas story is, is so full of wonderful, beautiful moments to meditate upon. And when I step back and look at it, there are a lot of extremes in this story. Today, I want us to consider and, and meditate on just four points that almost seem to be at odds with each other. Christmas challenges us with truths about Jesus that are intention but still true at the same time. But what else would we expect when God invades earth as a man? You can't get any more extreme than that. And so as we meditate, I'm sure there are other things that you could think about during this holiday season, but there's just four things I want us to think about for a moment. When we think about Jesus and the extremes of this holiday season, number one, I want us to think about the phrase exalted but humble. Exalted, but humble. 
The baby born is announced as Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. He's introduced as Emmanuel, God with us. He's called great and the son of the highest. He's referred to as the son of God. The angels proclaim that he is the savior and Christ the Lord. The Magi would call him king of the Jews. Isaiah the prophet declared him to be wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, worthy of our worship, Worthy of our praise, he is the exalted one, God in human flesh. Mild, he lays his glory by, born that man no more shall die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. But Jesus was born of common people, not in the home of royalty. He was birthed in a stable of sorts and laid in a manger because there was no room in a Bethlehem inn. Not in the palace of a king but in a stable. His birth was announced to shepherds in the field at night, not to the highest of those in political and religious power and influence, but dirty shepherds hanging out in a field at night. He was royalty, but he chose to be poor. That through his poverty, the Bible says, we might be made rich. The king of the universe humbled himself that Christmas morning. And so when we look at the Christmas story, we see the king of glory. God has entered into the scene, but not with trumpets and not with royalty and not with a red carpet, but in humility, in obscurity, in a little town called Bethlehem. And they were there only because they were forced to go. But God said, that's where he's going to be born. So if I got to kick you out, I'll kick you out. You'll get to Bethlehem somehow. And here's what's amazing about this. The king of the universe still humbles himself in his exalted position to be the mediator between God and man. The king who has been exalted above all things, who sits at the right hand of the father, who has been resurrected as king. The Bible tells us that he's coming out, treading out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. But he still stoops to be a mediator between God and man. Exalted, but humble. Number two, what I want us to consider about this baby, this Jesus, this king. He was searched for and worshipped, but he was hunted and hated. He was searched for and worshipped, but hunted and hated. The story of the Magi, or what we call the wise men, or we three kings, is a well-known event to those of us who are familiar with the Christmas story. We sing a carol about these guys. We don't know how many there were. We normally say three kings because they brought three gifts. I won't get into all the, the historical possibilities of who they were. They even had names associated with them. We don't know a whole lot about them. We just know that they came from the east, which was probably from Persia, which would be modern-day Iran. They were probably aware of the prophecies of Daniel and the promises of the coming of the Messiah, which uh, we we learned about on, I think it was, was it a Wednesday or Sunday? You you mentioned that on a Sunday, didn't you, Kevin? Which I think that's, that's pretty awesome. 
They followed the star of Bethlehem in search of the king of the Jews, finding him in a manger and offering him gifts and worship. So these kings, these astrologers, these wise men, these magi, whatever they were that came from the east, they understood that they were looking for something amazing. They were looking for something worthy of worship, worthy of praise, and they searched him out. But at the very same time, Herod was troubled by the search of these wise men and desired to know the whereabouts of the birth of this king. He told him he wanted to come and worship him, but we, we know that Herod's desire was to destroy him. which I won't get into, but Herod actually, this, this Herod dies a horrible, painful death. And then his son, who ends up getting taken over, is eaten by worms in the book of Acts. So they don't have a great genealogy going on here. He wants to worship him, but he desires to destroy them. This led to the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy of the killing of children under the age of two. Here's why want us to realize as we think about this that some searched and worshipped, some hunted and hated. Jesus will always bring strong reactions to who he is. Those who have surrendered to his grace through faith will continue to search, will continue to worship, will continue to exalt him. The world will continue to hate him for the truth that he tells and what he demands of us. This baby in a manger, cute and cuddly, Beautiful and sweet is the king of glory. And we must respond to him accordingly. Do we search and worship or do we hunt and hate? Do we search and worship this king surrendering our lives to him or do we reject his words and his truth because of what it demands of us? He was searched and worshiped. He was hunted and hated. Number three, And it kind of goes along with number two. He is the prince of peace, but a bringer of division. As we mentioned, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be called the prince of peace. The angels announced the good news of peace on earth, goodwill to men. My notes say peach. Peach on earth. I like peaches. I don't think I'd rather have peace, though. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Jesus promises his believers that he would give us peace. Peace that the world can't give and peace that the world can't take away. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 calls him the Lord of peace. Philippians promises us peace that passes all understanding. The Gospels tell us that we can be at peace with God because of the blood of Jesus. Peace itself is the fruit of the indwelling spirit in our lives. One of the number one characteristic of a heart that has been redeemed is peace. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything going on around us, we sleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Peace. But Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He said that he came to bring division between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. A man's enemies, Jesus said, would be of his own household. How can the prince of peace also be a divider? Well, what we have to understand is that the peace that Jesus has brought to us is between God and man. 
It is the peace that suffocates the chaos of a heart that is lost in darkness when it comes to the light. When we come to Christ, he conquers our fears and brings us peace. He's not calling for a peace in this world, but a peace in the depths of our hearts. Now, one of these days, the Prince of Peace will set upon the throne of David, and peace shall reign eternal. But here's what we understand about following Jesus. To follow Jesus will always cause tension with the world. There will always be division between light and darkness, between truth and the lies, between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Jesus promised us, promised us that if they hated him, they would also hate us. They would hate those who followed him. What that means is, is that Christmas was a dividing line. It was a dividing line. And as we celebrate the beauty of Christmas, and, and I know in our modern, modern day and age, when, when people talk about Jesus or talk about the gospel or talk about the Bible, they, they want to tell us that it's, it's the message of love. And it most certainly is the message of love. But in Jesus is the fullest expression, not only of grace and love, but the fullest expression of truth. And truth always causes division. It always causes division. Because eventually we have to choose a side. We have to choose to make a stand. And Jesus said, it will divide father from son, mother from daughter. Why? Because when we choose to follow Christ, when we choose the truth of who Jesus truly is, we have to recognize that some, some will not agree with our following. But let me announce to you this morning, no matter what you do with this Christmas story, we can only ignore Jesus to our eternal detriment. He is the Prince of Peace but he has drawn a dividing line. And number four, finally, as we think about these two things in tension, fully God, but fully man. The most amazing reality of Christmas is the incarnation. The incarnation comes from a Latin word that literally means deity putting on flesh. God putting on flesh. The baby that was born as human into this world is God in the flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Born as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Charles Wesley was a bad man. That baby that was born there in this world is God in the flesh. Theologians refer to the two natures coming together in Jesus as the hypostatic union. That Jesus did not have one nature, but two. But this tension brings with it the awe of worship in a most wonderful way. It means that Jesus, first of all, is more than a man. That his teachings are more than just good advice or one of many philosophies to consider. And we talked a little bit about this Wednesday. 
It means that he is God. If, if we demote Jesus to anything less than God, then we have fallen short of what Scripture says he is. That his teachings are life and the greatest path to life. That not only does his words bring us life, but they show us how to live the greatest life. That faith in Jesus is sufficient to secure eternal life. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone secures for us eternal life. But it also means that he was a man. That God is not a God that is far off, but he came to us. That God is a God that understands, that entered into our pain and our suffering. Christmas is the celebration of God coming to rescue his people from their sins in the person of Jesus Christ by carrying our sins to the cross. God did not leave us in our lost and hopeless condition. He entered into the human experience and made the way to salvation for all. Before him, bow as Lord and God, but don't be afraid to see him as a man who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Throw up your hands and say, I have nothing fit to give to a king except my hallelujah. But don't be afraid, as Pastor Don said, to see him as a man with bumps and bruises, scratches and scrapes, a man who went through the same hurt, the same pain, same frustration, who has felt what you feel. He is a high priest touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Worship him as God, but don't be afraid to see him as a man. Don't be afraid to see him as the one who understands because I believe it will only make us want to worship and serve him more. God, you didn't leave me alone. Church, God could have sat on his throne and said, you get what you deserve. You rebelled against my promise, my purpose, my plan. You chose this. He could have left us in our sin and been wholly justified for doing so. But instead, he got up off his throne, wrapped himself in human flesh, and came to save us. So I want this Christmas, and I challenge you this Christmas, may it be a time of reflection for you. I pray that you have a wonderful holiday, that your, your time with your families is blessed and beautiful, that you have reasons to smile and rejoice and laugh. But I pray that you find time to stop and meditate, search for and worship the exalted king who humbled himself to save us. Celebrate the truth of who he is no matter what the world wants to make of Jesus or this holiday. Stand in awe of the God who became a man. This is Christmas and worthy of our meditation, worthy of our pondering, worthy of us treasuring these things up in our hearts. And so we say Merry Christmas to you because Christ makes Christmas. And so I ask you this season, do you know this king? Do you know this God? Are you sure?
Are you wrestling? Is there chaos in your heart? Do you find yourself without rest, anxious and uncertain of where you stand with God? Eternity is a long time. And so I I challenge you as we celebrate the beauty of this holiday, as we watch maybe children ripping open presents and the awe of, of the gifts that we see and we eat good food and hang out with family members, I pray that you would stop and remember the price that was paid of the sacrifice of God becoming a man and then a sacrifice of a cross for our sins. Do you know this, King? Are you right with God here this morning? The greatest gift I believe that you could ever give to your family is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Dad, you want to give a good gift to your, your children? Surrender your life to Jesus. Moms, you want to give a good gift to your family? Surrender your life to Jesus. There is no greater decision. The dividing line has been drawn. And this Lord and King wants to give you life. He wants to give you life. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is that King. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are again to be here, to celebrate, to celebrate you, to celebrate your promise, to celebrate Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for everybody who gathered here today to remember and ponder and treasure. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up our hearts to hear and receive, that you would open up our minds to, to think and meditate and help us remember and help us see the beauty of this holiday in a brand new, deep, and powerful way. Lord, come and fill our homes, fill our hearts. Abide in us today, we pray. Invade our hearts as you invaded that manger and change us from the inside out. We thank you for that. As we continue to bow our heads, as we sing this last worship song for just a few moments and we prepare ourselves to take communion together, I ask you to consider where you stand with the Lord today. I ask if you are broken and hurting today, if you need healing in your heart, your mind, healing in your body, if you need deliverance, you need hope, you need joy, you need peace, this king has come to settle it. If you're not right with God today, don't leave this place without saying yes to his grace. If you're hurting or broken, don't leave this place without saying yes to his grace. If you can and you will, why don't we stand to our feet together as we sing this worship song. This altar's open. If you want me to pray with you, I will. If not, you're welcome to come and pray. Let's focus and ponder on the greatness of who he is. Eternity wrapped in our baby boy 
joy, such a beautiful child, all our fears slip away, every moment that we say your name, on this beautiful night, we feel the calm inside, as we're holding our little prince of peace. Our world will never be the same. We're so glad you You've changed our lives, we'll never be the same. I hold a sign that cannot be explained. So many waited for you to appear. If only they'll believe you're truly Such a beautiful child, all our fears slip away. Every moment that we say your name. On this beautiful night, we feel the calm inside as we're holding our little prince of peace. Our world will never be the same. We're so glad you came. Father, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you came to this earth, that you are Emmanuel, that you save, you redeem everyone who will place their trust and faith in you. And I ask now in the name of Jesus for every heart in here today that is unsettled, 
unsure. Lord, you would convict them and draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit. The beauty of this Christmas season would, would open their eyes and open their hearts. That your grace would find them, even when they can't find themselves. Find them this day, we pray, Lord, and save them to the uttermost. Lord, I ask that you would become more real to all of us. More real in this season than you've ever been. May our hearts burn within us as we meditate upon the reality of your grace. In Jesus' name. You can be seated for just a moment. As we prepare our hearts to take communion together, the Lord's Supper as it is also called, we think about the blood and the body, we typically think about Easter, but we recognize that this was all one act of God, one plan, one, one promise. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming. We all, we celebrate all of this at this communion table. We celebrate salvation. We celebrate grace. We celebrate the God who welcomes us, calls us to Him. And so if you're here today and you are born again, you have a relationship with Jesus, you are welcome to have communion with us. This is an open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. You just have to be a person of faith. And so we invite you to not come to this table in shame, or condemnation, but come to this table in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Come to this table knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you've been washed and cleansed, that you don't have to carry shame any longer because Jesus carried shame for you. By his blood, by his grace, by his mercy, we are all we are children of God when we place our trust in Him. We are not outsiders looking in. We are family. So this Christmas season is about family, about celebrating the beauty of family, the mess of family. Well, the church isn't any different. We're all a bunch of mess whom Jesus has set free, whom Jesus has saved. And so that's what we celebrate here today the bread and the blood. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We turn our focus to you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. We celebrate salvation here today. We celebrate the fact that we can be united with God through the blood of Jesus. We are part of the family. So, Lord, we ask that you will prepare our hearts. Search us, O Lord. We confess our sins before you. We, we don't want to hide or be hypocritical or make excuses for our sins. We ask that you would forgive us of every sinful act, every sinful thought, every sinful word that has come out of our mouth, every sinful intention and motivation. Cleanse us and make us pure. Make us holy. Lord, we surrender our lives to you and celebrate your grace. 
Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for redemption and thank you for grace. So we approach this table in honor of you and in remembrance of what you have done. In Jesus' name.